All right, it's good to be back in Charlottesville. Uh, who, who am I? I know I look different than a month ago. But yeah, my wife and I are uh, glad to be back. We, were, uh, we had some travels, and uh, we went to, a lot of you guys already know, but we went to, um, to India. Uh, but this last few uh, weeks was the, was the weeks of um, changed plans, as uh, we were on the runway uh, to India, and I got my, my phone vibrated and uh, found out that my grandmother passed away. Uh, I had already agreed to do the funeral, so we, we were only in India. It was a two-week trip. It was supposed to be two weeks, but it was uh, three days. Um, so we were sad to say goodbye to the Indians at so, so early a juncture. It was kind of like when Paul in the New Testament says, you know, God prevented me from seeing you, though I wanted to see you. Yeah. felt real at that time. Like, we want to see you guys, but, uh, you know, it has been prevented at this time, and we want to come back. And so we were able to get some great time with the Indians there, the brothers and sisters in uh, Chennai, yeah. which was a blast. And then I uh, came back, uh, we did the funeral there for my, um, my grandmother, um, uh, which, which God worked through, as I shared uh, this past Wednesday. Um, but, uh, and then at camp, we were at camp, at our camp, which is a blast, our camp. Uh, but then that was cut short as well because I woke up with uh, what appeared to be a black widow spider bite. So I had to go to the hospital for that. So we left early on that. We went to the hospital and they were like, it's probably just a black widow spider bite, but have you been out of the country recently? And I said, yes, India. And they were very alarmed. So... They tested me for every disease they could think of. Um, the results are still coming back, but I think we're okay. Um, but, but no, so we're glad to be back. Uh, glad to be back in Charlottesville. We missed you guys. We appreciate your prayers for us throughout that entire month as, as things were kind of getting changed here and there, back and forth. But your brothers and sisters in India say hello. And they send their greetings. Uh, they're an awesome group. Uh, that, was a, that was a blast to be there. And Jenny and I will share more about our trip to India uh, at a later time. But we'll be in Genesis this morning as we continue through the book of Genesis. Um, the word Genesis has many meanings. Uh, the word in, in, in Greek, uh, a Genesis is a formation, an origin, a beginning. In Hebrew, the word is uh, generations. It's a toledot, which is a generations. And so in the book of Genesis, there begin new sections. And you can tell it's a section because it begins with something like, here lies the account of Abraham and his descendants. Oh, there's the toledot of, of Abraham. The generations of Abraham. Here lies the account of Isaac. And so we're actually beginning a new one today. We're finishing Abraham and beginning Isaac, uh, which, is, which is exciting. And so we're going to talk through Isaac. Isaac's an interesting character uh, for, for a lot of reasons. Um, he, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but we'll, we'll go ahead and read. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about Isaac. So two chapters ago, last Sunday, we talked about uh, Sarah's death uh, and the arrangement of the burial, of her burial. Then last Wednesday, this past Wednesday, we talked about this really long chapter that comes right before this. I think it's the, it might be the longest chapter in Genesis, or at least it's the longest treatment of a story, which is interesting because we can tend to skip over it. But it's Abraham's final wish here on earth that, um, like many of our, our wishes for our kids, but to find a spiritual, godly spouse for our child. And so he sends his servant to go find a woman uh, who, is, uh, who is hospitable, who is kind. Uh, the servant finds that woman. This Rebecca brings her back to Isaac. By, the time, by that time, Abraham's already dead. Um, but his, his last will and testament is fulfilled uh, in finding uh, his son there, a wife. And so the beginning of Genesis 25 talks about the death of Abraham as Abraham passes on. The next little section there, beginning in verse 12, deals with Ishmael's sons and the, the lines of through Ishmael. Because remember, Abraham did have a son before Isaac. Isaac was the younger. Uh, Ishmael came before and we will pick up in verse 19 
A familiar story about Jacob and Esau. Genesis uh, 25, verse 19. This is the account of the family line. There we go. We should know. Okay, this is a new total dot. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Padan Aram, uh, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Whenever you see Aram in the Bible, that's uh, Syria. It's modern-day Syria. So uh, Rebekah comes from Syria. Uh, Verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her. That word in Hebrew is a clash. They fought. They wrestled. It was a tough pregnancy for Rebecca. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went and inquired of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. Only one other person in the Bible is called red. Uh, It's David. Uh, And they don't know what that means. It either means he had red hair, or his skin tone is very red, red reddish. but he could have been, he could have been a very much, most likely a redhead of sorts. So he comes out with red hair. His whole body is like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. His brother literally nipping at his heels here as he comes out. Uh, Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Isaac became a skillful hunter, a man of open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Here begins the dysfunction of favoritism in the generations in uh, Genesis. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. So if you read Genesis 25 here and Jacob and Esau, uh, just to kind of walk through a little bit of what's going on in the passage um, it's an interesting passage. It's a passage that's still very common uh, today. It's used a lot. You might not know it's used a lot. Uh, it's a, if you want to look at this on YouTube, I was going to show it, but you guys can look at it on your own. Uh, it's uh, called the marshmallow test. And you, they do it with kids. And they bring a kid into a room and they put a marshmallow before the kid, usually four, four or five years old. And they say, listen, I'm going to leave this marshmallow here. I'm going to leave uh, and I'm going to come back. And when I come back, if the marshmallow is still there, you get another one. Uh, if not, you only get the one. So it's teaching kids delayed gratification. And it's a hilarious video because all the kids at first are very confident. They're like, I got this, a marshmallow, yeah. But then as time goes by, you see the little girl, the little girl is so cute, you gotta watch it. She's just, you kind of see her eyes just like, 
kind of thinking, what can I do? What can I get away with? So she grabs a piece. She kind of looks around and she eats it, you know. And it's amazing how many of the kids don't just grab it and eat it. They take pieces. So they take pieces and they kind of look to see if anybody's watching. These are children. These are us, right? This is people. They look around. They watch. Take a piece. Um, and so all the kids but one eat the marshmallow. They can't wait. There's one boy who sits there, a cute little boy, just sits there, just kind of looking around, kicking his feet beneath the table. And she comes in, and the woman says, you did it, here's your extra marshmallow. And then he just puts both in, in, <laughs> in both cheeks and smiles real wide, like, oh, yeah. Um, but it's called the Jacob and Esau test, because it, it, you can tell, apparently, it's a child psychology test of can kids, can a child decide, actually, what's better for me in the long run, or will, I, will they only take what's in front of them right now? Well, I eat what's in front of me right now. I just want what now, now, now. That child is less likely to succeed in life, they say, than the child who's able to discern what's best in the long run. So that boy's got it going on, I guess. But it's a funny story, and it's really the Jacob and Esau test, because here we have Jacob and Esau, two brothers. Esau, a birthright was a very important thing. Um, uh, primogenitor is the idea that the firstborn son gets two or three shares of what everyone else gets. This was law in, ancient, in the ancient world. And it was a very important law. Uh, it, was, it was common for a long time. It's why you see um, second sons tend to be uh, fighting the army or third sons tend to become eunuchs or different things because primogenitor, the firstborn son, gets, gets to carry on the family business and the rest kind of got to figure out other ways to provide for the family. Eunuchs got paid very well. Soldiers got paid very well. So those were very good, very good jobs for other second, third sons uh, and different things. So Esau, but he barely comes out in front. You know, it's like really close. It comes, you know, Jacob is literally holding his heel. And it's amazing how much, uh, how much their character is exposed in just this one. For the next several chapters, this is kind of a good foreshadowing of what we're going to see between these two brothers. But it's a, it's a common motif, the idea of the strong elder brother and the trickster younger brother. It's all over the world. It's really strange. Uh, Thor and Loki is an example. Thor is the strong older brother and Loki is a trickster younger brother. Um, and uh, in, in African uh, uh, folklore, it's uh, Briar Rabbit. It's a, a rabbit who kind of plays tricks on, on other people to kind of get what he needs. The reason is because the elder brother usually has strength and can be stronger. He's bigger. The elder, this younger sibling, whether male or female, the younger sibling usually is smaller. So in order to get what they want, they have to play tricks. They have to get things through trickery. Um, and so it's pretty common. Like, for example, I always beat my little brother in wrestling, uh, undefeated to this day. Uh, I retired so that I can't lose uh, anymore, but uh, always beat him in wrestling. And uh, though he might, no, he's not bigger. We're probably the same size now, but growing up, I was bigger than he was. So he would always, he had these little tricks to get me. And so we'd, whenever I was walking, he'd walk behind me and my back leg, he would kick it so that I would, kick, and then I would trip or stumble and then he'd run away. And uh, he was quick. That's what he had on me. So I could never catch him. Or in the summer, often he would climb up on the dresser by my bed when I was asleep and then in order to wake me up, he would jump uh, on my shoulder's head area. And then, I, I would, and then he would bolt out of the room, and I, and I could never catch him. But it was the trickster younger brother, right? He's littler, he's smaller, he's got to get his, his shots, his licks in, but he's got to be craftier about it because he can't just use brute strength. Uh, we saw a Lion King last night, another example. Mufasa is the strong older brother, and Scar is the younger brother who has to use tricks and lies to be able to get what he wants. So it's all over the world, right? But there's something deeper about Jacob and Esau going on here that we're going to try to bring out of the text that God wants us to see. And I really believe here in this story, we get a, a, a snapshot into our own uh, walk with God and our own struggle to delay gratification. 
um, our own struggle to do what's best in the long term as opposed to what's easiest uh, and what uh, gratifies in the moment. Uh, but here we have Isaac and Rebecca. They have two boys, right? Uh, one is Esau. He is this hunter. He's a wild man. Uh, he's, he's strong. And then we have uh, Yaakov, Jacob, who is a, uh, he's a fox. He's a trickster. And he plays. You can tell this whole thing's set up, by the way. I mean, there's, um, Esau comes in. He's like, Esau, you can tell, is kind of portrayed here as a, almost like a, a strong brute. Comes in, like, give me the stew. His brother's like, sell me your birthright. I mean, Jacob planned it, right? I mean, Jacob's waiting to capitalize. Uh, one commentator writes, Esau capitulates while Jacob capitalizes. And this is kind of how it works. Is Esau compromises, like, and he even says it. What good is the birthright to me? It's so arrogant, right? Like, I don't need that. I don't need primogen. I don't need the inheritance. I'm Esau. Like, I'm strong. I, I, I can do what I want. You can kind of feel that, right? What good is the birthright to me? Give me the stew. And it's lentil stew, which is, even back then, was still lentil stew, by the way. Um, like, maybe it was a delicacy back then. No, it was still lentil stew at that time. It wasn't, I mean, it's, it's, it's the idea of selling your inheritance or selling your estate or selling your house, giving away your house for a peanut butter sandwich. I mean, this is, this is what's happening here. Um, and so... What's rare, and I don't know if you noticed it right at the end of the chapter, what's rare in the book of Genesis is for the author of Genesis to comment like their own opinion on things. They usually tell a story and then we figure it out, right? But what you notice right at the end? So Esau despised his birthright. Even the author is like disgusted at what Esau does here. Um, Esau is also says in the text that he's called Edom. Edom is another... Co- both these people become countries later down the line. That's why the prophecy is there are two nations within you. Uh, and Rebe- Rebecca's like, yeah, it feels like that sometimes. Uh, there's two nations within you, right? Esau becomes Edom, and then Jacob becomes, spoiler alert, Israel. He's renamed Israel later. These are two, two different countries, okay? And it's important because the time that people are reading this, and even in Jesus' time, Edom is really well known for kind of for being traitors. They often uh, betray Israel with their enemies. So Edom allies with Babylon to destroy Israel at one point. Uh, And then even later, uh, King Herod, when Jesus comes around, King Herod is from Edom. So when Jesus comes on the scene, who's, you know, who's, and even Jesus, Jesus says, go tell that fox, right? Even Israel is still at odds. And Herod, what has he done? He's allied with Rome. So Edom, from the beginning, from Esau, is constantly choosing to be godless, to be, they, they should be, right? They're from Abraham, Abraham's family. They're from Rebekah. They should be godly people, but they're not. They're constantly choosing the lentil stew. They're constantly choosing, instead of doing what's right, oh, we can ally with Babylon, people who don't believe in God, people who are going to kill our brothers and sisters, but we can win. Let's win. Oh, let's ally with Rome against the people of God. And so you can even see that this wasn't just some ordinary situation. This was this decision, this short-sightedness by Esau to choose what's good right now, obviously set the pace for thousands of his descendants uh, to do the exact same thing. And when we're talking about building family in this church, and that's our theme for the year, building family, it's this idea that our actions don't stop there. They actually have an impact on those around us whether that's the biological generation in your household or the generations within the church, those that are not necessarily our kids, but the kids that are around us. We perpetuate our sin. 
Right? The dysfunction carries on throughout generations. Now, the good stuff does, but so does our sin. And you see that so clearly in Genesis. And a part of it's encouraging because we're like, it's nice to read a, the Holy Scriptures and realize that people struggle, right? Just like we do. But it's also, it, it should be convicting because we can realize that we can be just like Edom. That we can be just like Esau. That we can choose the short term. That even though you've been born into a great situation, God has set you up near a church that loves the Bible, near people that go to your house, people that call you, people that text you, people that love you. God has set you up. You could still choose to be Edom, Esau. You could still choose the lentil stew. And sadly, the narrator could still say about you, so so so-and-so despised their birthright. Yes, they were set up, but they chose the short term. They nibbled at that marshmallow, thinking no one saw until it was gone. And they didn't, they didn't do what was best in the long term. So it's, it's an outstanding story. It's a remarkably short story, but it's one that I really want. And I want to talk today about impulsivity, being impulsive. Uh, what does it mean to be impulsive? It just means to do something without thinking, do something without forethought. Obviously, Esau here is very impulsive. Uh, he does this without really thinking. He even says things without really thinking. Jacob, on the other hand, has thought this through. He's set up, set up the situation. But what, what is wrong with being impulsive? Is it wrong? Is it a sin to be impulsive? Um, how about spiritually? How often are we spiritually impulsive? And I began to think about these things. Now, the New Testament gives us one insight into Esau. It's in Hebrews, and I have it up here. Uh, and it says something interesting. See to it that no one becomes an immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his birthright, his own birthright, for a single meal. So even this much later, the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, don't be like, he's encouraging the church not to give in to persecution. Don't give up on this. Don't give away. Those two words, immoral and godless, uh, immoral is uh, pornos, porn. Uh, Immoral, it means uh, porno, it means uh, sexually immoral, or it means any kind of disgusting immorality. And then godless is belelos, this idea of unholy, unsanctified, that you have no God. But that's a scary thing when you think about, I don't know, think about a kid born into a family with both parents who are Christians and they love God, like, like an Isaac and Rebecca, and the kid ends up being immoral and godless. And you, none, none of us want that. And none of, we all want, you, you think, no, shouldn't the kid who's, who's, a, who's in a situation surrounded by godliness, shouldn't they be able to be set up for success? Shouldn't they do what, like it's tragic. It's a tragic sort of thing that we see here. And it's not just with kids, it's all of us. Because the reality is, is that whether we were raised in a godly family or not, God has set us up for success. Right. He sets you up to be able to have an incredible birthright, an incredible inheritance. But I began to think about why does Esau make this decision? My first point, I really have two points. Uh, Will mentioned in his sermon that I always have three points. Today I have two. Um, <laughs> But I, I think I rarely have three points, actually. But um, delay gratification is point number one. Look at those cookies. Some of you are struggling right now. Now or later, right? Point number one is delay gratification. And as Esau gives up his birthright for the single meal, uh, what is it that he's thinking? What is it that's going through his mind? The problem is he's not really thinking. He's not, he doesn't have forethought. He's not prepared for this situation. 
Um, and I think a lot of times when someone is strong, they don't prepare for these types of situations. Or when someone thinks they're strong, they don't prepare for these types of situations. They think that they rely on their strength to get them through it. Their strength has saved them before, perhaps, they think. So it'll save me again. Um, but can you imagine how Esau felt after perhaps finishing the lentil stew? It's the, the realization of, what did I do? And you see it as we keep reading. I mean, Esau gets more and more bitter as he realizes what's happening to him, as he realizes the decisions he's making. And we can be impulsive about a lot of decisions in the church. Uh, and a lot of it, uh, it could be anything. I mean, I, even listing just a few. I mean, it could be with food. It could just be we, we don't have any discipline toward, our, uh, toward food, toward diet, toward those types of things, toward health. It could be about reading and praying, reading our Bible. It's, well, I, it's, it's, it's easier for me to just you know, listen to one verse than to read a chapter. So I'll do what's easier. Uh, instead of praying, I'll listen to, to music on the way to work, right? Or I'll listen to a podcast instead of praying. There's little moments throughout the day that, are, that, are, that end up having a, big, a large consequence, large impact on our day because of little Esau moments. Little Esau moments of so we despise that birthright. We do, we, we eat the marshmallow instead of realizing, hold on, if I, I need to delay gratification here. It's not easy either. And I, I don't, I get it. We live in a world that, that does not delay gratification. You've been to Amazon? One click buy, right? It's one click buy. It's a, I can have it now. And if I don't like it, I can return it and nothing's my fault. That's an incredible situation. Like I could just return and buy everything all the time. And that's where we live. And every, as, I mean, fast food is based on uh, impulsivity. That's the whole, like, all they cater to is, like, impulse buy. Like, like, fast food is, every commercial is, oh, you're feeling it now. Watch this commercial. Go get it now, right? Now, it's late. Go get it now. Go get it. It's, it's not like, think about, think about the decision first. It'll save you money. It'll, no, everything fast food is impulse, impulse. Uh, a lot of car commercials are zero, zero down, right, for the first 12 months. Uh, houses, right? I mean, we can, you can think about all the things, the little decisions we make, like quiet times, but the big decisions we make with no forethought, like who to date, who to marry sometimes with no forethought at all, where to move, what house to buy, uh, uh, what car to buy. I mean, these big financial choices that hamstring us and then we get angry at God. I mean, this is a big, uh, it has large implications in our lives, these Esau moments. Yeah. But it simply is, why don't, why, but why, the question is, why don't we have forethought? Shouldn't we think about these things ahead of time? Um, obviously, we, we should, but why don't we? Why aren't we? Why didn't Esau think, hold on, like, well, I got I to gotta really think about what are my convictions? Like, even if I'm hungry, even if I'm thirsty, you know, it's my role to be the eldest son. Like, that's my, I need to own that no matter what happens. Obviously, he hadn't gone there in his head or in his heart. He's caught off guard and he, and he gives in. But uh, if you think about even why Joseph, not Joseph, Jacob does this, Think about back then how hard it would be to be a younger sibling. Um, if you're an elder sibling, you're like, I, your future is set. But a younger sibling, you have to fight for what's yours. Um, and a lot of us understand that even being born in, in countries to this day where things aren't fair. I mean, your, your socioeconomic class, your race. I mean, think, you gotta, like, I can't just bank on things being given to me. I got to take them. I got to earn them. I got to trick. I got to steal. I got to capitalize. And we can feel like even we've got to be like Jacob. Though it is interesting that the author is not honoring Jacob at all here. And we can feel like, don't be like Esau. Be like, no, no, don't be like Jacob either. But we can understand why, why Jacob would want to have that identity. Like, I want to be something. I'm just a younger sibling. I'm nothing. I want to be something. And I can get something if I just trick, if I, if I deceive, if I manipulate. 
And a lot of us can either be like Esau or, or Jacob or both. We can manipulate to try to make things the way we want them to be. But, I, you know, my wife made a good point. I asked her about this sermon. She made a good point. She said, you got to cite your sources. This one's, this one's Jenny. But she said, <laughs> Jenny said, you know, it's interesting how with the flesh we're impulsive. But with the Holy Spirit, we're really conservative. So like, oh, let's just go out to eat and blow all this money and eat whatever we want. And let's go have a drink. Let's go. But then with like evangelism, like you got to be wise about that. Yeah. I like to evangelize in the best situation when I feel like it, when it's not going to be high friction or high tension. I'm, you know, like we're really wise and conservative. Like we're not impulsive when it comes to spiritual things. Or how about even, hey, guys, it seems like we're feeling a lot. Let's pray right now. Let's just pray right now. We don't do that as much. Or guys, let's read the scriptures right now. We're not impulsive. when Because impulsivity is not bad. Impulsive when it comes to the Holy Spirit is actually good. Because when you listen to the Spirit, like if someone's hurting, like I need to go pray with them right now. That could be impulsive, but it's not bad. It's actually really good. You're listening to the Spirit. And the, when you were impulsive spiritually, it's good. If that makes sense. It's, 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 it's like it's part of who we are. It's just in our nature, we're disciplined to do these good things. Like, we just pray on the way to school with our kids. We're impulsive about it. We just pray on the way to school with our kids. That's not a sin. It's a good thing, right? So there are some things, but when it comes to spiritual things, we get really, we're like, get really tight. Even singing, like, we sing like this. Something, something, something. All right. We don't want to, you know, we don't sing with our whole heart. We don't sing with our whole voice. We don't sing with our arms out. We don't sing crying out to God. We're really concerned about what people think. Got to be wise. Got to be appropriate. What's appropriate right now is appropriate. But then we leave and we go play nine hours of video games, watch nine hours of Netflix and eat a thousand calories a minute. Like what? We don't read. I mean, we're impulsive with the flesh. And then with the spirit, we're like, hold on, got to be. What is that? What is going on there? And it was incredible about this passage. Is the second you want to honor Jacob, you realize both boys are in sin. Both boys are in sin. And the author is especially disgusted by Esau here. But if we, I don't want to, it's hard not to go forward. It'll become very clear. Jacob's going to have his coming, all right? Jacob's got his coming. They're both going to end up in hot water for their sin. So what's, so what's the whole point of this story then? Like, who are we supposed to follow? Which, one is gonna, which one's right? Is it Jacob? Or is it Esau? My last point is when we delay gratification, we give way to transformation. And so it's actually, it can seem like everything in America is, um, and even being in India was so eye-opening. But in America, we think if we can have it, why not just have it? Why not do it? Why not? And we can even think if I don't, if I don't have what I want, things are bad. Um, but it's not necessarily the case. You know, when you decide to listen to the spirit and pray on the way to work instead of listen to the, you know, sweet home Alabama for the 900th time. Uh, when you decide to pray, you give way to transfer your heart. You give, you give the spirit opportunity. And it's just a few minutes. You can imagine how much a five, 10 minute prayer changes the way when you're at work. And you do see that girl wearing whatever she's wearing. That guy does talk to you and flirt with you. Or someone does do something that bothers you and your, your temper flares. They have how things change. Just those little moments of, and Jesus says it more than anything else. What's the thing? The two words Jesus says more than anything else in the Gospels, deny yourself. 
to deny yourself. This is what he's saying. Deny yourself. This is why the Bible studies, when you sit down and really study the Bible, and people go to church their whole lives, but they've never learned how to deny themselves. Everything is still very much of give to myself, give to myself. Most Christians think, what do I want in life? Let me make sure God's okay with that. And as long as I don't like hurt God, yeah, I can still get what I want in life. Most Christians don't think, well, what does God want me to do with my life? How can I do what pleases God? They think, what, can I, how, what do I want? And then how can I fit God in? Uh, what do I, what do, but we, don't, we don't really think what pleases God in the first place. But we can give way to transformation. And I know this can be a, a, high, a wide encompassing topic. And you may feel pricked on your heart. You may feel like, honestly, I'm in a relationship right now. I'm dating, I'm dating a girl. I'm dating a guy. And it's not a godly situation. It's not. There's impurity. There's lies. There's deceit. And I got to be open about that. And amen. Please do that. And you may feel like, honestly, I'm thinking about making a huge decision right now. And I'm not getting any advice on it. I'm not. There's no forethought. This is an Esau moment. Or maybe you're being deceitful and manipulative. And maybe you're getting advice, but only sharing certain things to kind of couch it in a certain perspective to get the answer you want. Whether you're Jacob or Esau and your heart's pricked right now, I encourage you to confess it, get open about it, get some help. But for all of us, I think it really just begins with those two simple icons up there. We've got to deny ourselves. We've got to read the scriptures. We must read the scriptures. We've got to. If you've stopped reading the scriptures, I encourage you this morning to repent. Read the holy word of God. It will, it, it's enough to change you without anything else. Without anything else. Prayer. If you do not have, you know, an author recently I was reading says, if, if prayer is not vital in your church, your church isn't vital. What, where's, where's prayer in our lives? Are we praying with our kids? Are we praying alone? Are we praying in community? Are we, are we, if, we, if this is all it's going to take to transform the Blue Ridge Church, nothing fancy. Are we reading? Are we praying? And if we're being honest, a lot of us, we struggle with those two things. Forget the workshops. Forget the cool events for your kids where kids ministry is taken care of. Forget those things. Forget what can I have and what can I get? What can I receive? Are you reading and are you praying? That will transform your family. That will help your neighbors. That will help your marriage. That will help your purity. That will change your life. It's just, it's not that crazy. I'm not the answer. This is the answer. The leaders are not the answer. The, The YouTube series you found is not the answer. This is the answer. God is the answer. If we delay gratification, and actually, it's not just for, God doesn't want to just punish us. Like, you can't have the marshmallow because I'm God, and uh, the rule is one marshmallow. But it's not that. God's saying, listen, that's not good for you. You need to, prayer is what you need. Reading is what you need. You need to be anchored in God. That's going to help you navigate this world of turmoil at every turn, by the way. And all this friction in the world, it'll be this that anchors us in. You know, there's this last thought, which it's incredible, is that God chooses the younger brother a lot. Remember Cain and Abel, right? Younger brother, which one? Abel. Isaac and Ishmael, younger brother, which one? Isaac. Jacob and Esau, younger brother, which one? Jacob. It's not just that, by the way. David, king of Israel, is a younger brother. What's what's the point? Why does God spit in the face of this ancient law? Well, because God's bigger than our laws. God's bigger than our government. God's bigger than all any laws that we pass or we make or our customs, our traditions. God is bigger than those things. And that gives us no small amount of encouragement. 
God doesn't submit to an ancient law on the firstborn gets everything. God's like, no, my grace is what's going to give identity and value to people. My grace is going to be what moves and inspires people, not the order of their birth, not the color of their skin, not their gender, not their money, not their influence or charisma. It'll be my grace that does that. It's hard to watch Lion King last night without thinking about that. I was, I was, you know, in the old Lion King, in the original, right? The whole point is that Simba, he forgets who he is. And he has that moment with Mufasa. And Mufasa says, remember who you are. And it's funny because up to that point, Simba's a wimp. He's lazy. He's with Timon and Pumbaa, just kind of like, just kind of a hippie out in the 70s, just really just doing nothing, right? And all of a sudden, all Mufasa says is, remember who you are. And now Simba's fighting off Scar like a G. He's incredible. It's not that amazing. It's like he didn't say work harder, Simba. Your discipline's been kind of lax recently. He says, remember who you are. There's something deep in us that's like our identity is crucial. And as the world searches for identity, we don't need to search for it. We have our identity in Christ. Let it be God's grace that's our strength, not our birth order. Let it be God's grace that's our strength, not our uh, intuition or our craftiness or our ability to manipulate situations. Let God's grace be what moves us. And if we, if we are in God's grace, then we're able to do anything. Nothing in the world can touch us. No matter what happens in our government, what happens in international affairs, what happens with your kids, or what happens with our financial situation, nothing can touch us. And Jesus himself, right, he was one of these younger brothers. I mean, even though he's born first, we talked about Herod, and what's, what Herod is, Jesus is born in a situation to a, a, a nation that's subjugated under Rome. Uh, that Jesus himself doesn't uh, perpetuate the idea that Jacob does. Jesus is not deceitful. In fact, he's really awkwardly straightforward with his followers. Like, hey, I appreciate that all of you are following me. But if you want to keep following me, go grab a cross and then let's keep going. Jesus didn't rely on deceit or trickery. He was honest. He, he believed in people. Jesus didn't rely on his strength. Jesus, Jesus was often withdrawing to lonely places to pray. And when Jesus asked, why is he doing what he said? He says, why am I doing this? Because I've seen the Father do it. Everything Jesus did was humility. And it, the elder shall serve the younger. The strong shall serve the weak. And that Jesus teaches us that. And that even as he's on the cross, and he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have been Esau. He could have stopped Jesus could have come to earth and been a king. He's born in a manger, in a feeding trough, to, a ma- to an illegitimate mother who's probably made fun of, to a family that's working class at best. Jesus came not to, uh, to, to be served, but to serve. And when, it, when, it, when Jacob and Esau are born, it begins this, this struggle within us. And I want to encourage us this morning. Uh, remember who you are. That you are God's child. And if you have decided to repent and be baptized, you are in Christ. And that alone is enough to help you through today. That alone is enough to help you through this week. Just remember who you are. And remember that we don't have to rely on our strength or our craftiness to be of value. But it's God's grace that gives us value. We're going to go ahead and say a prayer and we will close out with a final song.